afternoon, good evening, good morning, Screen Rats. Here we are, it's 2024. This is the first proper episode of the year. I know we had the TV roundup with Paul Kreitoff uh, about 10 days ago or so, uh, but, uh, you know, this is the first proper interview. And our first guest of the year is actually Nicola Mantalios. She's a comedian. She uh, plays herself and tells her story in her show called Meeting Mary, next on at The Stand in Newcastle on January 28th, by the way. But she also has a character that she plays called Zoe, uh, which is uh, who she was uh, performing as when I saw her most recently. Uh, this episode was actually recorded way back in October in my old studio before I moved, before the nightmare of moving ensued. Uh, it's been really hectic, man. It's been so hectic. It's been like, uh, you know, first world problems, number one. Uh, you know, uh, basically we went on holiday around my birthday, which was half term, came back, had a birthday for my twins, found out we had to move, moved straight into Christmas, and now we're planning uh, my son, who's about to be 10, his birthday. And it's just like, there's never a dull moment, man. Seriously, I mean, we are literally... Yesterday, we spent the whole day, me and my wife... Um, essentially, you know, building the rest of the house, all the little bits that need doing. And I've spent the last week or so putting the studio back together in a new place with all new, the same equipment kind of. We have a new pod mic. It should sound nice and dulcet. Uh, and we have, uh, you know, I've built a nice uh, new workstation for it, a work uh, podcast workstation, would you call that? I don't know. Big desk, big desk full of stuff. I've got an old rotary phone. I don't know if you can hear it from here, but um, you can hear it. Maybe it's too far away. An old rotary phone. It's kind of like a little gimmicky thing. I got a Avo meter and stuck a light in that um, uh, because I saw it in one of those posh shops where they turn everything into a light. Got trumpet with a bulb coming out the top. So I just wanted to make it kind of you know creative. I got some London Underground maps. Uh, I've got my posters up. It's looking pretty snazzy. And on the shelf is my uh, gripe at the moment, which is a Bodum Coffee cafetiere. Now, this is the most, uh, you know, white privilege uh, moan of all. But, you know, at Christmas, uh, we were busy putting the house together. My wife left a cable out. My daughter tripped on the cable. It pulled the Bodum off the uh, countertop and it smashed into smithereens on the floor. Glass everywhere. Uh, I didn't get annoyed. I wanted to, but there was so much going on anyway, it didn't really matter. So I just went and bought another one. And I went on Amazon and I thought, well, that'd be easier. And, you know, we used them a lot lately, unfortunately. And, uh, you know, I thought, mm, no, I'll go to Bodum because I like Bodum. I'll give them the money, you know, that they make the good ones. Uh, the Amazon ones are probably cheap and inferior. This thing arrived. It's totally made of plastic. The outside, the inside, the fucking... There's no part of it. It's not glass anymore. And even the bit you push down hasn't got those sort of curly, wiry... You know, I don't know what it is. It pushes the grains, you know. Uh, it's, it's just plastic. Looks like it's made for a quid. Gave them two weeks to respond, and they haven't responded. So on this podcast, I'm going to call them out and say, Bodum, you are now shit. You are putting out inferior crap. You're on my list of bad companies. Uh, you are cheapening your products, just like uh, Dr. Martin's and, and those kinds of things where you just outsource everything to the cheapest possible uh, factory you can find somewhere and you know it's just rubbish and I do um, apologize for my sort of uh, cold voice because I have got a kind of cold in the last two days which is annoying considering what I'm doing right now. Beep, beep. So, to our guest, Nicola Mantalios. I met Nicola, uh, well, she came around the house uh, in the old studio uh, in early October after I saw her at the People's Theatre here in Newcastle where she was comparing a really fun night of comedians. There were so many. It was a brilliant night. Um, most notable for me was uh, when Nick Helm came on and uh, saw that I was sitting right in the middle of the front row and immediately picked on me and started screaming mass questions at me about the price of... Uh, Pepsi Max or Cherry Pepsi, whatever it was. 
And it really threw me. And I'm good at maths, but this guy, he fucking made me so nervous. And he got me up on stage to point out a cupcake. I don't know what was going on. Anyway, love Nick Helm. He's absolutely brilliant. But next time I see him, I will sit right at the fucking back because that guy made me feel very nervous. And uh, so did Nicola Mantalios in her character um, that she was playing, Zoe. Um, and she also kind of, uh, you know, honed in on me. It's my own fault. I sat in the middle of the front row. I don't know what I was thinking. I got a ticket and it was like, oh, front row's available. Sat there on my own, did the same at a Jen Brister gig. I got hassled by the warm-up comic. And also recently, a similar thing happened when I went to see um, a big comedy night at the Time Journal. So my days of sitting in the front row have got to be over at this point because uh, it's just asking for trouble. I mean, I'm not scared of the front row. I always think it's silly to be scared of the front row but I'm not actively going to seek it out and I've had these uh, centre front row tickets for ages and this is not some like you know me spending a lot of money these are like carte blanche the same price sit at the back sit at the front it's like 20 quid it makes no difference where you sit so yeah Anyway, uh, so I, re I really liked her comedy persona and basically everything she was doing was just really, really funny and had been stitches. So I thought, I, I need to talk to her. And I had no idea what she was going to talk about. And some of it is funny and some of it is going to go in a place you are not expecting. And, uh, you know, this is a great one. So here she is. This is me talking to Nicola Mantalios. Is it Nicola or is it Zoe? Is it Nicola or is it Zoe? Roll up, roll up. Welcome to Television Times, a weekly podcast with your host, me, Steve Otis Gunn. We'll be discussing television in all its glorious forms. From my childhood, your childhood, the last 10 years, even what's on right now. So join me as I talk to people you do know and people you don't about what scared them, what inspired them and what made them laugh and cry here on Television Times. The Pink Lane one. The pink Lane Sourdough, yeah, that's it. Not, a red, not an apple. <laughs> when I say pink ladies, said pink I'm always ladies. doing shit like that. I do like pink ladies. Pink ladies are really nice, but they're very expensive, and uh, we'll cut this, but you can weigh them as onions if you really want to. <laughs> but don't do that. No, I have done it once, uh, twice, five. But yes, um, the pink lane sourdough, £3.80. Wow. That's a lot for bread. It's I mean, a lot for bread. I do struggle with those numbers, but that is not... This, this isn't going in the cut this. But it's just like... <laughs> I do find... Well, maybe not, I don't know. But the... Uh, so I press this, by the way, whenever we mention films by accident. But it's OK if you watch it on a VHS or DVD. That's for when we mention sourdough. When we mention sourdough. The sourdough horn. That would be a... <laughs> and where's all the sourdough coming from, anyway? Because I thought it was supposed to be, like, a special thing that was handed down from, like, grandmothers from Serbia or whatever. I think, I think that it was... It comes from San Francisco. Really? Yeah, you know I, think, I think the original sourdough is from San Francisco. Really? So I went to San Francisco in June 2011 mm -hmm. and I had um, clam chowder in a, a sourdough... Bowl. Yes. So you scoop out all of the inner bits <laughs> and then it's got a little... It's got a little Lid, yeah, still yeah, the sourdough. Yeah. So then you, that year as you eat everything, the bread bowl thing, you, that yeah. They do. yeah, yeah, yeah. Welcome to Sourdough Times, where we discuss all things sourdough. No, we don't. Let's get on with it. So you were the host at the People's Theatre gig that I went to and sat stupidly right in the middle mm. of the front row. <laughs> Something I'm doing again on Thursday at Jen Brister's gig, which is I've never done that before. It was just I went on there and it was because it was just me. There was one seat and I thought oh, I'll just sit there and be alright. Are you on your own? Yeah, I was on my own. Oh wow! Yeah. I'm sorry that I victimised no, you. No, so it was heavily. great. It was fun. I mean. <laughs> Someone, I do it because I, you know, I, I do stand up too, and I've been to loads of comedy gigs, and I, I don't mind. I'm never really scared of the front, really. But um, 
that just seemed it was you were fine it was it was nick that just kept like screaming numbers at me yeah and i kind of shit myself a little. well actually it wasn't yeah. me that was there at all no it no it wasn't no it wasn't so you, you, were, you were never there that's the other thing yeah you were, you were your character zoe which was i had given her full reins of my brain yeah <laughs> how do you remember all the names how do you remember all the names of people and where they're sitting you got teacher skills um I think as I don't always, hmm. um, and if I don't remember the name and I um, make a mistake and they correct me, I'll usually be dismissive and say, "Well, it doesn't really matter because this is a temporary friendship," mm. um, which yeah, <laughs> which is a way of deflecting the fact that I've just forgotten somebody's name. But in real life, I'm, uh, I try to remember people's names. You're very good. Thank you. Yeah, I like that. When you came out with your Wilco bag, I thought there was going to be some kind of political statement. I was like, "Oh, she's going to bring out." They're all going to be P forty fives in there or something. <laughs> That's what I thought it was going to be. But, yeah, that, that gig was really fun. And um, I, I didn't clock his name. Who was the poo in the shoe guy? Fernando. Yeah. That yeah. was some of the weirdest shit I've ever seen. Yeah. But, like, you know, like, I couldn't work out... It's quite surreal. Yeah, I don't think I liked it, but I won't forget it. Do you know what I mean? It's well, like, that's something. It's sort of... A bit like clam chowder. A bit like clam chowder. <laughs> but, yeah, we'll talk about telly in a minute. But, yeah, so how, I should ask, obviously, you do stand up as yourself and you host at the stand and you do all these things, but you also have the character Zoe. So may I ask <coughs> a couple of questions? Yes, about of course. How long have you been doing that character? So Zoe was born in July 2013. Mm. So just this summer she had her 10th birthday. Oh, right. <laughs> yeah, she looks a bit older, but she's 10. She looks a bit older. She wears different clothes than you. And um, do you find... What, what do you prefer? Do you prefer being her or do you prefer being yourself on stage? It really depends on how I feel emotionally that day and how much energy I have. Mm. So both are a cost in a different way. Mm -hmm. So if I've experienced any kind of um, heartache or trauma, I'm having any kind of difficulty that day, it feels like a um, like brain holiday to yeah. be Zoe. Yeah. So it's kind of like that happy, sad clown, clowning sort of thing. So I find it easier to perform as Zoe if I'm having any kind of challenge or difficulty in my real mm. life. It's like putting on a mask. Yeah, kind of. Yeah, or almost like taking one off. It's a bit of both. Oh, okay. So it's it's a bit like um, so when I perform as myself on uh, doing stand up, I always feel like I have to because of being female. I feel like I have to look good. Right. Um. Because you're instantly judged when you step on the stage and you take a microphone in your hand. Yeah. So there's a lot of thought that has to go into it. And I wish that it wasn't like that, but mm. it is like that because women are often um, judged just on appearance sake. And it's when I say I need to look good, I don't mean I need to pertain to beauty standards. I need mm. to... I need to both stand out and hide because if I have cleavage, sometimes um, people will just take that as an opportunity to shout yeah. sort of misogynistic yeah. and sexist comments. Um, I have to be able to move in my in my clothes. Um, I have to be able to own space in my clothes and I, I have to feel like um, a little bit bulletproof. I suppose. So a suit of armour of Yeah, it's like, it's a, so if I'm performing as myself, it's a little bit more like a suit of armour. Yeah. Whereas when I perform as Zoe, mm. I've got a, an absolute standardised set of armour in, in that wolf fleece. Yeah. And so um, partially Zoe's creation was born of thinking, well, I'm not giving you the best version of myself. Here is the, the worst I can look. 
in a way. Um, judge that if you want to. That doesn't affect me. Um, I'm here. No. I'm here for the words. I'm here for the the comedy. I'm here for the movement. Yeah. It's not about who I am. Um, so there was there's a self defence there, but there's also a stripping back. When you're actually performing as Zoe, do you also is there like a lag, a time lag in your head where you know that you're sort of in there and you're about to say something as Zoe and you're thinking about it in your in your like mind? Translating or, it to yeah, Zoe. are you translating like a foreign language or is it is it just you are that? Person. I think I, I become Zoe. You become her. It's quite scary, actually. <laughs> yeah, I think that it, it something different happens because I think she has a, a section of my brain that is just dedicated to her hmm. and I hand the reins over and I have different mannerisms, different facial expressions, different posture, um, different mental processing. And that's just all just given space. So become, yeah. as soon as I put on the, the clothes, that's when Zoe's allowed to surface. It's more like that. So I don't really need to translate anything. I can comfortably be Zoe for, like, the, the whole day. Have you done it outside just for a gang? Uh, I've done it outside um, a, a couple of times, actually, yeah. So I've performed at uh, Whitley Bay Film Festival a few years ago. I was actually pregnant at the time and it was a really hot day, so putting the fleece and the Lycra combo on on a hot day. Whitley um, Bay, no shade. No shade. No shade and I was, it was a street performance and it was just all day, so that was quite arduous physically i filmed as zoe so i've spent mm. all day in character and the the quiz nights that i do so zoe's quiz night that tends to last about two and a half hours because of the the interval i stay as zoe in the interval so yeah it could just be zoe for a really long time yeah. Yeah. and like you say if you've had like a bad day yourself you can just in, inhabit her so is it fun yeah, it's really fun. It's fun. Yeah, it's really fun because she has this um, ability to say whatever the fuck she wants. Yeah. Sorry, Mel, I was swear. Yeah, of course she can. She can say whatever she wants and there's this, there's no comeuppance for yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. yeah, so there's a lot more play to be had. Yeah, I like that. And because she's not offering that beauty, she's not offering that I'm available for you to look at. Mm. I'm available for you to objectify. She's not offering that to anybody. So it's almost like she's she's willing to challenge you on anything you say or do. And you, there's no grounds. There's You just you, you can't take floor space with her. She's yeah. already, she already owns everywhere she stands. So how long have you been doing stand-up generally? Did you do it before Zoe as well? Before. Before 2015? Yeah, before yeah. Zoe. So I started performing stand-up in October 2010. Right. So, uh, 13 years. The good old days. <laughs> when bread was more affordable. <laughs> I used to watch a significant amount of television as a child, so mm -hmm. it was my sort of go-to thing in the 90s. Coming back from school, I'd watch lots and lots of sitcoms and um, after-school TV. Yeah. Not so much now, just because I... I'm super busy with entertaining yeah. my children and working and things like that. But I do try and keep up to date with um, with things that are coming up. And, um, yeah, I, I, I watch TV. Do you have a show that you definitely don't miss that's on right now? Or Currently watching Sex Education. I haven't seen it. How is that? Yeah, I'm enjoying it, yeah. But because I'm writing a sitcom, I'm in the process, I find that whatever I watch, it feels a little bit like work because mm. I deconstruct 
the setup, the story yeah. arc, the the characters, the interplay between the characters. I try and understand what the A, B, and C plots are. Yeah, you're breaking it all um, down. Yeah, break it all down. Yeah. So it's a bit like going to comedy now. Like, and now yeah. go, oh, this. Uh, I wonder if they're following the 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 save the cat methodology. I can see yeah. it. I can see a real build up here. There's the whiff of death and the bad guys closing in. And so yeah. it feels a little bit like yeah, like I, I, I deconstruct it a little bit. But I quite like that because I'm a little bit of a geek for my work but you can do both you can sort of do that and still enjoy it right? I can still enjoy it but I think I get I, I think now I, I, I'm not lost in the narrative as much as I used to be mm. because I'm looking at it as a as a piece of work that's being produced like now I can uh, I've got a deeper appreciation for the team of people who are the thought tank behind yeah it. you think those things like exactly like when old Pooh and the shoe did his thing I just thought who's cleaning that up yeah <laughs> You know yeah. what I mean? I think that all the time. Stage management? Yeah. Because <laughs> like, I can just see a fucking mess on the stage. Weirdly, I, I watched, we watched a Boiling Point, the first episode of the TV show, not the movie, last night. And it started, the whole, I don't know if you know, but the whole movie of that was a one shot. I don't know how long it was. It was probably nearly an hour, but it was one shot. And it was insane how they did it because it's a, a bustling restaurant. And last night they launched the TV show and we watched the first episode. And the first, I'd say, 10 minutes of it was one shot again. And I was like... Oh, this is giving me a headache. I can't watch this because I can't watch it like a normal punter either. Mm. I'm just going, well, who did that? How did they sign that right? That person came in and had yeah. to knock that out the, and he had to spill that. Just to, how many takes did they do? Yeah. You, know? you have to pause it just to gather your thoughts. <laughs> yeah, and then they stopped doing it. I was like fucking relieved I could actually get into it, you know, because mm. otherwise I'm just breaking it down. Just yeah. looking at how clever it is. Like that film, was it 1918? Was it called 1918? It was all one shot. The film was called 1917. Come on, get it right. It's a really famous film directed by Sam Mendes. Come on, Steve. Oh, Sam I, don't think, I don't think I watched that. I mean, I enjoyed it, but it was all one shot. So it was like, I'm, I'm just watching the cleverness. Yeah. And it's great, but I don't want to be watching the cleverness. Yeah. If I'm watching the cleverness, the film isn't good. You know what I mean? I know what you mean. Like, if you're seeing, oh, the lighting's good. Well, this is a bad show. Yeah. <laughs> no. <laughs> okay, I'm going to ask you some podcast uh, questions, okay. actually, if, if you don't mind. I so let's get. Let's do the, uh, I did idea. this with um, Jack Doherty. Let's do the numbering thing. So give me a number between 1 and 20. Do I have to say it out loud? Yeah, you say it out loud. Okay, 17. 17. Don't worry about the counting part. Which TV character, if you could, would you embody for 24 hours in real life? A fictional character. Um, I really love Mr Bean. Mm-hmm. And I think that um, the clowning and the lack of words in Mr Bean, so Ron Atkins says Mr Bean, um is a way of um, bringing people together who maybe don't share a common language. It's it's universal. So I think the universal clowning of Mr Bean has been an inspiration to me as a child. And I think I took stock when I was with my Greek relative, my auntie Rebecca, and uh, she didn't have English and I didn't have um, enough Greek for us to share humour, but we could share share that humour. Yeah. And so I think that's really informed an aspect of Zoe because right. because Mr Bean is not he d- he just doesn't give a fuck. He's yeah. completely selfish but yet you 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 love him. Yeah, you go with it. Yeah, 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 you go with it. You go, well, okay, this is your world. Yeah. And there's a lot of self-sabotage that ends up happening because of his selfish nature um, and because he needs everything just so and he'll get pissed off <laughs> yeah. at, at everybody that gets in the way of that. 
and he ends up in these really ridiculous situations because he's impatient or he wants the big... Like, if there's a, a bowl of apples, he's going to take the biggest one. Mm. And that's Zoe's a little bit like that. Yeah, he gets to the front of, of the queue on the January sale, that kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, exactly. So <laughs> I, I just I love the lack of um, social dance. Yeah. That Mr. Bean does. And I would love to just um, be allowed to do that in real life. He's <laughs> just a bee, Mr. Bean. Yeah, Mr. Bean, yeah. I mean, on Mr. Bean's holiday is on repeat in this house. Uh, that's a movie. Oh, movie. Uh, but, you know, it's based on a TV show. But that, that one where he cuts out, is it like a... What's the... What's the thing in the kitchen where you pass cups through the little hatch thing? Oh, like, and he yeah. cuts one out, doesn't he? With a and he's going, he cuts out like a fucking corner of the Queen's picture and something like that. And he takes yeah, it all out could. in one go. Yeah, that's taken from one of the episodes, actually. I think that yeah. he does that when he paints his. Oh, the paint bomb. One. Yeah, yeah, because that's when he's decorating his his flat, and then he realizes because oh, he moves the oh no, that's it because he moves the table to somewhere else in his sitting room, and then he realizes oh, this isn't convenient yeah. for this little window now. So then he just has to cut, and he cuts through the telephone wire and yes, the, yes, and yeah. photo frames yeah. and, and my all the son was like, "What's that?" Because oh, that's the they used to have little telephone boxes where it would be what <laughs> yeah. the one he loves is the body form advert one. Do you know that one? Like he's counting sheep. In his bed, oh, and he's yeah. got this big stick to like touch the button because he doesn't have a remote. And then he he, he falls asleep, and then goes, <laughs> and he wakes back up. And I had to explain what that was, uh, but it's really funny, and, you know. Yeah, I love that. Episode. And then I think he ends up shooting the TV. <laughs> it's fucking mental. Yeah. So, so this is something that happened to me when I first moved back to London. I went before Mr. Beam's act. I'm quite old. I went to see Rowan Atkinson in something called The Sneeze. And I didn't really know much about him at the time. It was like the first thing I ever went to see at a theatre, I think. And he had this sneeze and he did all those bits, you know, the, the really classic scenes, you know, that they put on YouTube, the little clips from him in the late 80s, I guess. And I went to see that. Oh, and that's I didn't amazing. Even, I don't think I realised what I was watching. I was like, oh, that's the guy from Blackadder, I guess, doing his thing. And I was just, and it was just all, it, there was like no speaking. So I saw that and I had the early Mr Bean. I was in the audience oh, and I'm like it's so, lucky. so annoyed I didn't realise at the time that you didn't appreciate no yeah. I didn't I had, I had that as a as a young adult I went to see um, Jack Black sing mm. in London at the um, at the Apollo oh, what, what was the name of his band again oh Jack Black is um, yeah oh, it's gone out of my head we, we can Tenacious D. That's it. You have to, that's your yeah. internal Google Ten- there. Yeah, it, it landed. Uh, I went to see Tenacious D and I was like, this is pretty cool. And then um, time has passed and I've gone, oh, actually, that was really cool. Yeah, <laughs> then yeah. I saw that. So, yeah, you don't you don't often um, take heed of the moment until no. it's passed and then you realise, oh, that was a vintage moment. Yeah, and I think what pisses me off a bit about me in the 90s is I was, like, snobby about things. Like, I was quite, you know, I was young, but I was like, I didn't want to fucking watch, watch Mr Bean. That's for kids, I'm watching Home Alone. This is bullshit. You know, I like Jurassic Park, but it was like, this is rubbish. Why am I watching this? This is for kids. And now I just look back and I think, oh, I had a, I had a problem with, like, Mrs Doubtfire being all flat. And it's like, well, that's a good movie. Not you watch what? Well, I mean, it's debatable now, but there are so many, like, elements to that kind of early 90s, mid-90s stuff that I just didn't tune into because I just thought it was naff. Yeah. It was like the grandma. Yeah. <laughs> but it wasn't. It was actually brilliant. And now I can see it for what it is. And I was just like being a snob, I guess, you know. Which is which is your prerogative as a teenager? Were you a teenager? Yeah, early 20s. Like, yeah. yeah. 
a young adult, yeah. You're kind of just finding yourself at that age and um, you're looking around a little bit to say, like, do we like this? Um, and you look at your peers for mm. to inform that and, and really it takes a little bit of time to... For things to season. Yeah, I'm listening to Park Life. My nan is watching Mr Bean and, and Hello, Hello. So I'm like, mm. <laughs> <laughs> It's probably that kind of thing. <laughs> okay, let's do another one. What's the funniest thing you ever saw on TV? Okay, so I get stuck in a loop with this one particular scene. So I'm going to give you a little bit of a backstory yeah, about it before I tell you the, the, the one particular moment. So I've got a, an old school friend and I was describing the scene from Faulty Towers where Basil attacks his car with a, a branch. So he's he's really annoyed. He's basically the fast builds, as it always does in, in each episode, and is trying to get, I think, a cooked chicken back to the hotel. Yes. And he's running around town and he's really manic and everything's going wrong and everything's just building and building and building and adding to his fury. And then he ends up taking it all out on his car. And I I once described this to my friend Graham um, from school. And then every time I saw him, I ended up bringing it up in some way, shape or form. I was like, oh, do you remember the last time I saw you? Um, I couldn't stop laughing about that scene. And, and then we ended up, he, he had the, the box set of Faulty Towers and then we watched it together. Yeah. So I've, I've linked the two things in yeah. my mind yeah. with, with this boy from school. And yeah. so, so, okay, so the scene, so, so Basil Faulty's getting more and more irate and then his car breaks down on the side of the road. And he just, he goes, that's it. That's it. I'm warning you. I'm warning you. And, he, and I think he gives him the thing to, he gives him a countdown. Yeah, and yeah, the yeah. car, like, he just personifies the car, like, yeah. or anthrop- anthropocize, anthropocizes the car, whatever, makes it human. You can do that one. Uh, <laughs> and he gets this, and then he just, he goes off screen. And so it's that classic sort of framing. So you've got the car in the frame mm. and somebody goes off and then comes back with just this massive fuck off branch and just starts... <laughs> <laughs> just matching up his own property. Whipping his car. <laughs> He's like, I'll give you a good thrashing. And he just like <laughs> wastes yeah. all this time. Like, meanwhile, he's got this chicken or turkey or whatever it is. He needs to get back to yeah, the, yeah. the hotel. And he's just having a fight with his car. <laughs> that episode's brilliant. Does it end up with him putting his foot in the chicken? It, I mean, it has, it, it, I think that it does end in disaster. I can't remember if we're, if it's his foot in the he chicken. He sort of walks in the kitchen and Manuel's dropped it or something and he puts his foot in it and then he's sort of walking around. I think around that there's several chickens that happen in, yeah, that, in that episode. Things keep going wrong with the chickens and that's why it's building and building and the yeah. poor car ends up getting the blame. I think it's just so obscure and it's such a waste of time and it's so funny because he's just he's just created all of these impossible moments for himself and he's he's bringing it all on himself and it's it's all because he's led by ego so he he does he wants to seem like the finest hotelier mm. and that's and so it's his ego tripping him up True. and so he's he's just like I can't possibly ask for help I can't possibly admit failure uh, yeah. and and so and you laugh at him and so you kind of want things to go wrong for him because of that ego but you're also still on his side despite yeah. it all he's, he's he's won you over because you're enjoying the um you know the, the silliness yeah there's so many elements to that isn't there have you ever done anything like that what whipped Person- a car well not whipped a car like, <laughs> like when you brought that up now i've remembered something i did in when i was about 25 i had a bicycle um i still got a bicycle different bicycle and uh i was cycling home lived in london and this fucking bike 
everything was going wrong with it. You know, every bike, every punchy, everything. And I warned it. I remember doing that. I go, you fucking, one more fucking thing and you're going in the river, you cunt. Right? <laughs> and <laughs> I got down by Vauxhall Bridge in London and the fucking chain came off or something like that and I just did the John Cleese. Maybe that's how I was like, influenced by it. And I picked it up and I fucking just threw it into the Thames <laughs> and just turned around and went, oh, fuck, now what? <laughs> I and I just you. saw it float away down the Thames oh, like some no. lunatic mid-20s mid, mid rage. You just rage. lost it, yeah. Yeah, I did, and then I just I had to go home and then... Uh, you yeah, had to get, get the bus. <laughs> I remember as a child wanting three cushions to behind me for watching TV, mm. which is arguably too many cushions. Uh, but it was definitely a battle between... Uh, a battle for my mother's love, yeah. I think, between me and my siblings, because we were allowed one each, and I think I wanted all of them, which is completely ridiculous. And I just was... I was building up the anger and then I ended up having TV dinners and I threw my dinner on the floor out of anger because I just was uh, my cushion situation just wasn't right and I think my yeah. mum was like trying to stuff the cushion behind me to make me more comfortable Is this a carpeted floor? Or th it was some... carpeted, yeah oh, disaster I got a smack for that, I think Oh, really? Smacking? Yeah We don't have that in our armour anymore <laughs> You've just yeah, got we're the not warnings. allowed that anymore. I think that when I say to my kids, like, you have, don't have that cushion because that one, you, if you drop food on that, that's a coloured one. Get the dark one. And then I'm thinking in my head all, as well, these are just arbitrary rules that mean nothing. Why am yeah. I enforcing them? This is stupid. Next. What is a TV show that everyone else seems to like, but you don't get it? Oh, you know what? I've watched all of Succession. Mm-hmm. I was mostly enjoying it, but it was about a world that I, I couldn't relate to. Mm. So I think when there's a lot of lingo and fast-paced movement, so, like, the thick of it was a bit like that with politics. I, I, I enjoyed the sort of social interactions within the thick of it and the yeah. way that it chopped and changed and they were treating each other. But a lot of the language and a lot of the fast pace kind of you having to keep up with the world uh, and, and it almost, like pressure to learn something mm. in order to feel like am I clever enough to understand this um, oh so it's making you feel stupid sort of thing I think watching. so yeah so I, um, I listened to is it Jesse Armstrong he mm. gave a, a talk at the Cardiff BBC uh, comedy festival back in May who by the way he he was one of the writers behind Beavers and Butthead, mm. uh, which I was, and The Power of the Queen's Nose, which I was much more excited about, <laughs> even though he also wrote Succession, which is arguably one of yeah, the, yeah. the biggest TV episodes. Yeah, yeah, Peep Show, yes, yes, Peep Show. So, yeah, so I, I was listening to him talk about it, and, and yeah. he was explaining about how they had done a significant amount of research in order to make sure that all of the, the language was relevant and was accurate. And mm. so there was a there was so much information and research gone into it but i think i think i found it overwhelming i think yeah. i found it distracting from what was actually happening um but i admire it because i admire how invested they were in creating that world and making it authentic yeah so i was still able to enjoy it to some degree because i was uh, i could see like the the storyline and then it was almost like a, a I would have to sit back afterwards and digest what had happened mm. and think about it. And well, that then, means it's and, good, right? Yeah, I suppose so, yes. But yeah. it, it, I, I just found it stressful. Yeah. <laughs> I so found it stressful watching it's it. Overwhelming, yeah, because there's so much... So much to keep up. Talking about breaking with. it down, I mean, I love Succession. I think it's brilliant, right, and excellent TV show. But the one thing that I did notice in the last season, 
I kept seeing this, and once I, once I thought of it, because I rewatched season one and two of my wife, I'd seen it myself. I realised in the rewatching of the first two that, oh, every week they just all go somewhere. Yeah, <laughs> they their all carbon go somewhere. Footprint must be <laughs> the carbon so footprint excessive. would be fucking insane. Yeah. But they're always like, it's just an excuse to get in those black cars, get on a plane, and go to like I don't know, Spain, Portugal, Hungary, wherever they're going. Yeah. And they were always going somewhere, and there was always like a glitzy party. And my thoughts always were, oh, man, I'm so glad I'm not there. I would hate to be at such formal events, like, constantly. Could you imagine? Have all that money and then you've got to have a really formal life. Like, every day's a wedding. You're always being watched. Yeah, awful. You're, yeah, you're always being kind of studied. Yeah. And if you try to imagine what any of their homes looked like because of that series, you're like, mm. well, I can't really see it. You can, like, because they were in so many different spaces. Yeah. Um, you're like, well, that... It must be difficult to to put down roots if you're in that kind of transient lifestyle, just constantly being yeah, somewhere they're else. Yeah, like nomadic. Like yeah. the, it looked like it was really difficult to, to have connection and find love. So I've um, I found that interesting about the show, mm. and I, I really liked um, afterwards, or like after after watching all of it, sort of looking back and thinking, okay, where were the seeds? So looking back in the, in the season one mm. and, and early episodes and say, where were all of these seeds that were planted to get us to this growth? at the yeah. end um, and I find that really interesting so from an objective point of view um, I think it's a masterpiece that we can learn from but during the time of watching it I think mm. I was mostly stressed <laughs> watch severance love severance yeah Can't severance wait for it to be was back. good yeah i really enjoyed that i feel like that was a good balance i felt discomfort in watching it just because it was building so much intensity mm. and and so and you really don't know where it's going you or don't what's know, and we yes, still really don't know what's yeah, happening there's a lot of mystery there's a lot of like a lot of walking down hallways yeah a lot of a lot of hallways <laughs> There's a lot of hallway filming. There is. There's a lot of hallway filming. <laughs> There's one bit where I was actively just watching Adam Scott and one of the other characters just walking literally down. This is a long shot. Left, right, right, left. Are they going to stop soon? Because and it was it was like deliberately long to make us feel uncomfortable. Yeah, to make you feel uncomfortable and disorientated. Mm. So you, yeah. you get a sense of the character's experience of lack of control and lack of navigation. It, you know, it's probably like a really small building, but it's just wound. They're just wound around. You think? I think. What's behind that wall? What's what's the place? Yeah. That? I'm trying to map it in my head and build it. It's such a mystery. Beep, beep. Now, I don't just turn things off and go, now nah, that's shit. Um, mm. I give it a chance and I, I think about it and I, I view it as an investment of my time if I watch a show. I don't, I'm not really one for um, having TV on in the background. I like to give no, it my attention. No, I don't like that either. I, I, I like to watch it. Yeah. I mean... Sometimes if I check into a hotel and I'm getting myself sorted because I like to organise myself, you might be able to tell from the whiteboards, um, I will put on stand-up set. Stand-up set, I don't mind not yeah, watching completely, which I think yeah. is okay, which is hard to say to a comedian, but as long as I can sort of see every few seconds, but I don't need to see every you, you single can really, thing. Like, you, know? you can, you can like appreciate audio. it on audio, yeah. Yeah, it puts me in a good mood as well. Yeah, absolutely, that's good. I think with my character, with Zoe, I think that there is a, a big visual element mm. to... So if, you, if you're looking at more of a physical character and you're in facial expressions and body movement really informs the comedy, yeah. then I think maybe you're missing out by not watching all of it. But, yeah, certainly it lends itself to an, an audio format. Yeah, it's mostly, if I watch an American standard, I know what they're going to say anyway. It's going to be racist, isn't it? Um, <laughs> I 
stage show. So I have a stage show called Meeting Mary. It's not quite a work in progress because Meeting Mary is a development and kind of an unravelling of what happened to me because I was excommunicated from a cult uh, growing up. Um, I was fully indoctrinated in a really intense religion and the the writing of the show is almost like an understanding of what happened to me and uh, I have, I'm a pretty much like a, a real life Kimmy Schmidt except I wasn't in a bunker wow. and so I'm unlearning and unraveling things all of the time and I often feel like an alien in this world because I was kept really separate from this world really? and so my writing is all about um, what it was like to be in the cult. Yeah. So day to day, the the intense structure of my time, the intense interactions with the other members of the cult, mm-hmm. and then the the culmination of what built up to my excommunication, which was pretty thorough. I was I was like cut off, and and there was silence. And even today, I walk past people. It, this happened to me in two thousand and twelve, and even today, um, people will shun me on the street if they know me and, and they're really? still members yeah so it's a it's a pretty wow. like all-encompassing um experience and I, and I call it out when it happens um so that uh, I'm not just having an internal struggle mm. I call it out and throw it out there even if I'm on my own I just say what's happening and then I, so I can move on so I'm not feeling gaslit in my in my own head so the show meeting Mary is is all about that. So it's about the build-up, um, the life before, the build-up, and then the life after. Yeah. Um, so the the show itself is a stage show. So the next performance of that... Can I, can I plug yeah, that? Yeah, of course, yeah. Yeah, so the next performance of that is on the Sunday the 28th of January at the stand in Newcastle. Perfect. So that's, that's the next live performance. And I'm currently working with my production company to my story into script form with the end goal of it being on the television. Wow, that sounds amazing. I want to see it <laughs> immediately. Um, so can I ask a couple of questions about that? Is yes. that okay? So um, where, when you were in this cult, is, do you live in a similar area to where that was happening? Yeah, I, live, so I still live within South Tyneside. So I see people sometimes, but I've moved to a place outside of where I was brought up. So right. it's not, it doesn't affect my day to day. But sometimes, like even if I go into Newcastle City Centre, mm. so you'll see people uh, preaching in the street and sort of set locations. I think that should be legal. Yeah, <laughs> I find it... Um, really intrusive in my space. So yeah. I find that really triggering, mm-hmm. um, sort Imagine. of when I bump into people. Um, and I used to hide away and I used to kind of use their labels to describe myself. And I don't do that anymore. And I think I, I finally feel empowered to to feel like I own space and I'm entitled to belong. And, I, and I'm not this sort of piece of rotten fruit that I was treated, yeah. uh, how I was treated. Yeah, it's awful. I'm so sorry. It's okay. It's, well, I mean, it's, it's definitely going to be. It's giving me a good show. Yeah, it's, well, exactly. <laughs> I had an absolutely key. horrific childhood, but it gave me a book, and, and you know, that's that's how these things happen. I mean, I haven't had any. Um, wasn't any uh, anything like cult like, and my family wasn't even particularly religious, but I did endure two years at the Christian Brothers School in Ireland, run by brothers, and that was savage as an English kid in the early eighties. That was uh, yeah, not fun at all. Yeah. Racism, religion. Just like you just get hit for everything, yeah. Well. Um, but it, you know, obviously, it made me run a million miles away from it at a very, very early age. And I, I think I declared. I say it in my book, but I don't think, I don't think it was that young. But certainly by the age of about nine, I knew that I didn't believe in God and I didn't 
didn't follow any religion. I thought religion was just awful. So, you know, it was drummed out of me nice and fast. Yeah. And the prayers my nan used to make me say, my God, they were awful. Um, but you kind, weirdly, of, you kind of feel like your body's being put through things and your mind's screaming inside. Well, it's traumatic, isn't it? And, like, I remember, I mean, it's to do with television in a way, but I remember one Christmas when I wouldn't do as my... I was brought up by my nan and granddad because my, my dad was in jail and my mum was in Ireland or whatever. Um, but there was this one Christmas and it was, like, the usual kind of... It would have been late 70s, so it was, like, Dick Henry and Morecambe and Wise, two Ronnies were on, and I didn't want to go to bed. I really didn't want to go to bed. I just want to stay out and watch comedy. Even then, it's like, oh, I've got to watch comedy. I don't want to go to bed. Stanley Baxter came on, oh, more stuff. You know, it was just a brilliant time for all of that. And my nan just said, if you don't go to bed now... Along the lines of, if you don't go to bed now, God will strike you down. Wow. I was like, what? You should have tested that. She was like, you know, if you don't go upstairs and say your prayers now, God lay you down to sleep, pray my soul to keep and all that shit. And it was the first time I realised I could die. What? And and there was uh, this higher power, like, that would, like, do that that to me if I didn't listen to my... That's so dark. ..my parental unit. Fuck me. Well, we don't have that these days, do <laughs> Imagine saying that. Like, we'll turn the Wi-Fi off, but we won't, because we need it too. Exactly. <laughs> it's going to be a comedy, but there'll be a real darkness that, mm. un- that uh, sort of in the background, the running thread, because it was a dark experience. Yeah. So it's been quite challenging to translate that into comedy mm. but it's a bit of a default thing for me and how I process as I as I use laughter as a way to to process and, and it's been very very helpful because it's a rewriting and helped me understand what's happening and, and to see the irony in mm. things so, so it's been a beautiful way of healing from that sort of fucked up lifestyle that I had interestingly there's this one thing that always makes me laugh and that um the cult was wholly against um the occult anything to do with yeah, satanic. Uh, with satanic stuff but but um not just satanic stuff like so halloween like the the core uh, meaning behind halloween like the the sort of the changing of seasons and um and like the 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 almost like the wheel of the year the the sort yeah. of um what's the word I keep trying to say pilgrim, pagan. Oh, the pagan, <laughs> the pagan All Hallows Eve, yeah, pagan like rituals. Yeah, that kind of it. Yeah. I really love all of that stuff and I've right. always been attracted to it even when I was in the cult. But I was told that it was evil and to stay away from it. And even now when I celebrate Halloween, I, I tend to lean more towards the the natural aspects of it. So like the bats and and skeletons and spiders and pumpkins. Not the American over Not the big ghouls yeah, and all yeah. the rest of it. I don't, and I don't really like to be scared. No, it's more about it. Flying around in the garden. No, thank you. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm good. No, I'm all right for that. I'll be there. I just scream. I'm so prone to to to, to fear response to anything that looks quite scary yeah, like yeah. that. So yeah, I was having a reflection about this and how um, Halloween was always painted as evil. So all of the witches were evil and the ghouls and all the rest of it. Mm. And it's scary, and you've got to stay away from it. But I was told that um, from the teachings, the three times a week that I had to go to meetings. I was told that demons were around me all the time, listening to everything that I was saying, trying to influence all of my actions. Hmm. And I used to think that they were hiding in the carpet. Um, And that's probably why I've got laminate now. Um, (laughs) (laughs) 
to avoid to avoid them being in the underlay. It's kind of yeah, like yeah. the, the no thick shag for you. No, no, no thick shags. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but that's an entirely different podcast. <laughs> All of my shags have to have some kind. <laughs> Intellectual. So, something to do with piles as well. So, what's all the carpet in terms? All sound about carpet. Yeah, I can't even say any of that. It's only rude. <laughs> yeah, so just the, there's a lot of irony with the the core beliefs that I was uh, dogmatically trained in, mm. um, and giving myself space to enjoy stuff that I was never allowed. So I love Christmas. I love birthdays. Any celebration, um, I'm childlike for all of them, and, and it helps me understand the, the passing of time. Well, that's why you're leaning into it now, I guess, right? Yeah, yeah, it's like it's, a resurgence of it. See, I think that about myself because I like. There's a bit in there where, where I'm in Ireland, and a load of um, presents come from England. And I see them in this cupboard and it's all Lego, it's all good stuff, right? I'm looking forward to Christmas and then it comes and I never get the presents. They never gave them to me. They sent them back or they gave them to different kids or whatever. But I knew they were there, but they never gave them to me because they said it was childish. I was nine. For me, Christmas is my dad coming downstairs and smashing my toys against the wall and Mm. and smacking my mum or whatever. I thought as an adult I would be more like into Christmas, but I think I'm sort of gone the other way, which is unfortunate, which is like I just think it's all kind of massively fucking capitalist nonsense and I can't stand any of it. Yeah. Well, I really wish I wasn't like that. I wish I could get into the spirit of trying to get the thing I never had. Yeah. It's like they ruined it for me so I don't want to have it. You know what I mean? But I think so that it, it is those things that you've just said. That It is a lot of capitalist nonsense if you lean into that side of it. And I really don't like the materialistic aspect of it, but I yeah. like everything that is mould. Mm. So I like a mould cider <laughs> and a mould wine. Don't we all? Um, I like mulling things over. <laughs> I like the Isle of Mould. The Isle of Mould. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, so I, I like um I like the feeling of that yeah, time. Yeah, like of the Christmas year. market is on, yeah. you get that vibe. Even if you don't want it. Yeah, I want I want all of those things. I want to be allowed all of those things. Mm, yes. So um I love the smell of like a, a fresh Christmas tree. I love a, a cinnamon candle burning. I love mm. making gingerbread. I love um, going to, which I, I thought that would be triggering for me, but I love going to church on Christmas Eve um, and to hear the nativity story. Mm. But I view it as a story. I don't go, oh, this is exactly what happened. Mm. Uh, I just listen to it and I go, well, that's nice. Um, and then we'll move on to the next thing. And it kind of feels like a cultural yeah. Um, aspect of the whole celebration just as if I was visiting Japan I would go into Shinto temples and I would appreciate them and go this is nice and this is like a a cultural historic thing that I can appreciate objectively without necessarily uh, following the rules of it or saying I buy into it I believe I've actually done that and I don't believe in it either but it's lovely have you ever been in Japan at Christmas day Everyone's, no, at, everyone's at work. It's yeah, just a normal really, day. Yeah, it's wow. the strangest thing. That's just wild. December the 25th. It's really normal. <laughs> it's funny now because now I'm thinking by you being able to go to church and enjoy nativity, it's something from your past that could be triggering and maybe you wouldn't want to have embraced. Now I'm thinking, because I thought the other day, why do I sort of lean into this? I'm half Irish. But Ireland is where all the bad stuff happened. And my dad is the Irish person, not my mum. And so Ireland is a fucking nightmare for me in that way but for me I lean into it because I am that sort of culturally I guess right so I I never really felt English English because I mm. had that I have down that identity. too I'm half Greek so I have yeah. that feeling of uh, not quite belonging places yeah it's not great is it no it's not great mm. and I think um, especially when you you taught something and then so when I was outside of the cult as a child if I went to school a lot of people had bad experiences at school but I used to view it as a bit of a 
a place that I could be myself. Mm. And nothing that bad's happening in school, really, compared to... Yeah, I've, I, had yeah. A, I had a really nice time at school. I had friends. <laughs> really? um, I liked my teachers. I wasn't the cleverest. I was, in, I was in the top class at school. I enjoyed it, but I didn't always like every subject. I sometimes had detention if I was late, but then I, I tended to chat to everyone in detention and I like them too mm. so detention. Had, do they still do detention I don't know I think even, so I think so allowed? I mean it, it feels like it's it's harsher for the the teachers themselves they're gonna give themselves longer yeah, <laughs> cool. well, yeah. I don't why know. would you I do that to yourself yeah, yeah exactly it's cool it's not yeah. good Anyway, talking of talking of making, maybe that's why I moved up north, so I could just constantly feel out of place. <laughs> you think? Maybe. I love it up here. I'm never going back. Um, okay, let's do a fun one. What's the TV show you saw as a kid that scared the shit out of you? See, I was I was quite protected by a lot of scary shows as a child because of. Um, the religious influence, so we mm. were not allowed to watch so many spooky things. Scooby-Doo was out. Well, I was about to mention Scooby-Doo. Oh, really? Yeah, I was actually, because whenever Scooby-Doo came on, it was immediately turned off because wow. it was associated with the occult. But I don't think that... I don't <laughs> think my parents ever got to the bit where it was the reveal and it was just in, turned out to be... <laughs> just a, a it's normal, the local pedo. Yeah. <laughs> it's it not a ghoul, it's a pedo. Yeah, don't be um, scared. I think, like, um, you know what? It was more films, sorry. It's OK. It, do films, do film. It, I think Indiana Jones scared me quite a bit. They are scary. Yeah, I think Indiana Jones really freaked me out. I think I had a... Did you see it on TV, though, at home, on a VHS? Yeah, there yeah. There we go, it counts. I saw it, yeah, I saw it at home. Um, I think, like, anything that just felt like... They're creepy, aren't they? Because it always feels like something's about to happen. Something about, yeah. Was, yeah, so, yeah, and yeah. I can't cope with anticipation. So the, it was the feeling of anticipation. So all of the snares that were in Harrison Ford's way. So anything to do with like quicksand. Um, oh yeah, quicksand was a big one as a kid. Yeah, and quicksand I always, everywhere apparently. I always felt like quicksand and tornadoes and the Bermuda Triangle were going to feature <laughs> much heavily in much much in my life. Even, it's not even real. It's not even real. It's like, well, hang on a minute. When when is that? bit of my life going to become a problem yeah. and then I've, I'm now looking back going oh I don't, I've not really been in quicksand then <laughs> when I first took flights I remember looking to see if it went over the Bermuda Triangle because I wouldn't get on the plane yeah <laughs> I was like okay if I go to New York does it go near no I'm fine uh, do you know where the Bermuda Triangle is I do know where it's supposed to be it's south of Bermuda isn't it in a triangle going down so there's uh, three points of it that sort of are... Um, I just had this the other week in one of my quizzes, so the Bermuda, mm-hmm. and I think it's Puerto Rico, and I think Miami is the other Yeah, it does corner. almost touch the penis of America, doesn't it? The penis, yeah, of, yeah the yeah. wang. When I was a kid, there was this magazine, I think it was called The Unexplained, maybe something like that, and okay. you get it every week. You wouldn't have been allowed it. But it was like, you know, UFOs and Bermuda Triangle, mm. Bigfoot, that kind of stuff. So I think, like, the the cult that I was in used to make their own films about the end of the world because it was a oh. doomsday message, so I was pretty scared of those. <laughs> did they have a date in mind? Did they have one of those dates? So they did have a date. It was 1975, oh. but then come ne- 1976, they'll kind of scratch the head. So now it, it's a, they refer to it as the light getting brighter, so they right. now say, OK, we don't actually know a date, it's just right ahead of us. 
Yeah, so I think, like, anything that was produced secularly could never be as scary as the information videos about the doomsday message and the doomsday cult that I belong to. <laughs> well, no-one else is going to have that answer. That's a brilliant place to end. <laughs> Fucking hell. there she came around the studio we had a chat you weren't expecting it to go down that road were you you really weren't come on admit it uh check her out wherever you can she plays live all over the place uh try and find her gigs online and go and see her show meeting mary which she'll be performing next at the stand in newcastle on january the 28th so uh listen and look out for her now to today's outro track now considering my conversation with nicola this song seems particularly apt It's called A World Without God. I wrote it 20 years ago in a shed in Dublin. So I was on tour uh, and we were putting on, I think it was Woman in Black in a theatre called The Helix in Dublin, which was on a kind of student grounds. And I was in a house opposite and I was bored one afternoon. I just remember feeling a bit weird. And I went in the shed with the guitar and I wrote the whole thing in one go. The version I'm going to play now was recorded, I think, a year later with my friend Des. And we sort of, he, I think he played the bass on it and we added some strings and stuff like that. Um, it's a bit of a rough recording. Uh, I really just like it, you know. It's one of my favourite songs I ever wrote. And uh, it's got really fun lyrics in there. There's like, you know, lines that probably wouldn't work in the current climate, like uh, every fatty wants to dance, every smoker wants to quit, every model wants a pie, uh, every writer wants to stop, things like that. Anyway, enough of me waffling. Here we go. This is it. A world without God.
Musicianship added by Mr. Desmond Pye, including some backing vocals there at the end. Uh, thank you for listening to today's interview with Nicola Mantalios, and come back next week for more Television Times, where we have another fantastic guest. Thanks for listening, and see you soon. 